invite you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 3 can be found on page 1165 in your pew Bible. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Verses 20 and 21 will be my sermon text for this evening. However, I'd like to to read the entire chapter. Let us now hear God's word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything... You think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. And their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let us ask God's blessing in a time of prayer. 
Gracious God and Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirits upon your people here, that you would give us eyes to see the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the gospel, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is teaching the church of Jesus Christ through your living and active word, and that you would give us feet, O Lord, to walk, walk in a manner worthy of Christ and the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 3 of Philippians is really a profound chapter because in this chapter you have the whole of the Christian life. We have conversion, we have justification, sanctification, and we have then the resurrection of the dead and glorification. In chapter 3 we see the work of of our great God, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking this evening at verses 20 to 21. There is a lot going on in chapter 3. But we're going to consider also the resurrection of the dead because we're at Lord's Day 22. And I want you to turn in your Forms and Prayers book to page 223 as we look at and read Lord's Day 22. Page 223, question and answer 57, and then we'll turn to the next page to question and answer 58. Congregation, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life, I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. From heaven, we await a Savior. That's the title of this evening's sermon. The Apostle Paul argues in this chapter that he, by faith, has been made righteous by God's grace through faith in Christ. Faith is the means, the instrument by which he has made righteous before God. But it is the perfect work of Jesus Christ that is the grounds by which he has made righteous. He doesn't put his trust in his own flesh, his own works, his own merits, his own ethnicity. He puts no confidence in the fact that he was circumcised on the eighth day or that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews 
of the tribe of Benjamin. He gives a, a great resume. If you're a Jew, this is a great resume to have. You would aspire to this resume. But Paul counts it as rubbish. His desire was to know Christ and Him crucified and risen. And not only that, but to walk in Christ. To walk in Christ. Yes, in this day in which we live, on this side of glory, there is much suffering in the flesh. There is much struggle against sin. You know this. But we need to be reminded of it. Because Paul wants us to fix our eyes to the day in which Christ will come. A Savior will come from heaven and we await this Savior. Meanwhile, while we are still in the flesh, though born of the Spirit, it is our calling to be faithful to God as we wait. We await a Savior from heaven. And the Apostle Paul in verse 20 and 21 brings this chapter to a conclusion before he goes on to encouragements to brothers and sisters and final exhortations to the people of God in Philippi. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. He's issuing a call to the Philippians to imitate his faith and his life. But don't imitate those who walk as enemies of the cross. Look with me in your Bible at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, he's grieving that those who knew Christ and who were walking with Him, it fell away. For many of whom I have often told you and I'll tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross, denying the power of the cross, denying the power of the gospel, denying Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They are earthly minded, but Paul saying, imitate me and my faith. Imitate those who walk in the faith. Those who have been born of the Spirit, who imitate heavenly things, who have their minds set on heaven. So he's juxtaposing those who are heavenly minded and those who are earthly minded. And we as Christians are called to be Heavenly minded. These Jews and unbelievers are walking with their minds set on earthly things and consequently it leads to destruction and ruin of the soul. Not so with you, Christian. 
Not so with you, for our citizenship is in heaven. The first point is our common citizenship. Our common citizenship. Not so with you. Know to whom you belong. Know where your citizenship lies. It may also be translated homeland. But our citizenship or homeland is in heaven. It, it, all, it also could be translated commonwealth or a colony of foreigners. When you think of a commonwealth today, you think of, of, of a nation or nations that are bound together under one government, under one rule, that have certain goals, a certain way of doing things. Well, you have a common citizenship in heaven, a common king, the Lord Jesus Christ, a common law, the word of God. And so set your mind on heavenly things. Set your mind on Christ as common citizens of his kingdom. Citizenship, homeland, colony of foreigners, commonwealth. How about we're, we're all pilgrims together on this journey? We're pilgrims who have our citizenship in the heavenly places in heaven. You think of this idea of commonwealth. There are a few states, I think there are four states now in the United States that are called commonwealths. But you think of America being one nation with many states governed by laws and under a constitution, each citizen possesses rights and privileges. And that's what this idea of citizenship or homeland is communicating. Not only do we have a common citizenship, with a common king and a common law, the word of God, but we have common rights and privileges that belong to us because they've been purchased by Christ for us. For the Christian, our common citizenship, literally we can say our common, our citizenship exists in heaven. It can literally, literally be translated our citizenship exists in heaven. That's where our position is. That's where our status lies. In a better eternal homeland called heaven. Therefore, do not put your trust in the emperor. Do not tr put your trust in princes. Do not put your trust, Philippians, in rulers. Or put your confidence in the flesh. Because it wasn't your flesh that made you citizens of heaven. It was the grace of God in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit that caused you to be born again, born as citizens of another world, the heavenly realm. For from heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, came to establish his kingdom and to make us citizens of this homeland. Remember, what the Bible teaches, how Paul speaks of Christians, how you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness and placed where? Into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. You were once citizens of this world, blind, lost, following your God, the devil, the 
princes and powers of the air, as Paul will speak of in Rome, or Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ and by the Spirit, you are born anew to become citizens of heaven, having the Spirit of God dwell within you. Congregation, by God's grace, you and I have been transferred to this kingdom and made citizens. We're not at a port of entry. We're not waiting for our papers. We're not waiting for our passport to come in the mail. You are citizens now in Christ. And Paul wants us to understand what this means in present difficulties and circumstances and how we are to live our lives for Christ. We are called, therefore, to live under the gracious rule and reign of Jesus and his kingdom, under his government, and enjoying all of his blessed benefits, forgiveness of sins, life everlasting. He is our help, our strength, our fortress, all those things that we speak of concerning God and his protective power over his people. All those things are ours in Christ. Indeed, we are a colony of pilgrims who make up a royal nation, a royal nation without borders, scattered abroad to live according to his word and his ways, scattering the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our common citizenship exists in heaven. What does this mean for us? in terms of application? Well, first of all, our common citizenship, I believe, means that we journey together, don't we? It's a common citizenship. We journey together. We pilgrimage together. Encouraging one another to persevere in the faith and to fix our eyes on the prize. In fact, this is why Paul is writing and encouraging the Philippians. He speaks to them, telling them, Listen, I I press on towards the prize, towards the goal. Imitate me in these things. Don't imitate those who put their confidence in the flesh, who set their minds on earthly things. No, put your confidence in Christ and His saving work, His grace, His love. And encourage one another with these things. Secondly, I, I think also that our common citizenship means that we live by Christ's rule and not man's traditions or opinions. I mean, think about this for a second. To live as as common citizens of Christ's kingdom of, of heaven, this means that we exist, we live under His word. His law, by His grace. In other words, we don't tell Jesus what to do. We don't have the authority to change the Word. We don't have the authority to manipulate Scripture. We don't have the authority to take biblical, orthodox truths from the Bible and change them in order to please or satisfy current social trends. 
as if we know better than Jesus. The church doesn't have the authority to change His Word and His ways, His law. Or how about trying to justify behavior and practices contrary to the Word? We see this throughout the world today. Surely it's been going on in every generation, but isn't it very pronounced today? Churches that were once orthodox giving into unorthodoxy in order to appease and satisfy culture or to tickle people's ears and tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear? Our common citizenship means that we live by Christ's rule and reign not man's tradition or opinions, but by his word. I think there's another, interpret, uh, another application here about our common citizenship. And it's this. And this has to do with praise. Marvel that you're a citizen of heaven. I think that's Pretty simple. Nothing complex about that. Marvel that you're a citizen, Christian. If you're a born-again Christian, profess faith in Christ, marvel that He called you to faith and made you a citizen in heaven. John Newton said, the author of Amazing Grace, we sung that hymn this morning, he wrote, when I get to heaven... I shall see three wonders there. The first will be to see many people there that I did not expect to see. The second, to miss many that I did not expect to see. And the third, and the greatest wonder of all, will be to find myself there. You and I think that we have the right to be there because of our merits, because of our own flesh, our own nature. Marvel at the thought that your citizenship is in heaven. This evokes praise ought to evoke praise in our hearts. When I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first will be to see many people there that I did not expect to see. The second, to miss many that I did not expect to see. And the third and the greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. Oh Lord, praise be to God that I am a citizen in heaven. You think about those in the southern border at the port of entry crying out, just wanting to be here. Would go to great lengths, travel great lengths just to enter this country. 
They long to be here. And this is just a country. It's not the promised land. It's not the Jerusalem of the West. It's a country. Yes, we're blessed to live here, but it's not heaven. You think about their longing to be here. How much more do you, Christian, long for heaven? Secondly, our present attitude. But our citizenship is or exists in heaven, and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our present attitude. On the one hand, our citizenship currently is in heaven. On the other hand, we haven't physically arrived yet to our country of residence. But as we learn from Scripture and have confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism, we experience eternal life even now. And yet we wait for it. We await a Savior from heaven to gather his elect from every tribe, tongue, and nation to take us home. This verb awaits. If you have your own Bible, write it down. If you have your notes, make note of it. This word await is better translated eagerly awaits. In fact, the New American Standard Bible translates this verse in that way. We eagerly await a Savior. Moreover, this word, eagerly await, also carries a present attitude of the Christian while they're waiting for a Savior from heaven. Namely, that we eagerly await with great care. It's not like we're waiting for for Jesus to come, which we do wait for Him to come, but we wait with a certain attitude. That while the pressures of this world abound, while we struggle and wrestle with sin, while we struggle and wrestle with the weakness of the flesh, the weakness of our nature, we wait with great care so that we are setting our minds heavenward. The context here supports this. For Paul is differentiating between the Jew and the Christian. We wait by faith. And we wait by faith with an eager expectation that he's coming again. But in the meantime, I am called to live faithfully before my God. To live with great care before God and neighbor. Not like those in the previous verses who walk as enemies of the cross. Not like those whose end is destruction and God is their belly and they glory in their shame. No, not like them. But I eagerly await a Savior with great care. Watching over my heart, my soul.
It's a word that the Apostle Paul uses to express the Christian's attitude in the present about a future event. For example, in Galatians chapter 5, he says to the Galatians, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness that is to come at Christ's appearing. But in the meantime, God grants us a faith, and that faith works through love. A faith that works with great care toward God and neighbor. And so our present attitude or our present posture of faith is one of loving and faithful obedience to the Lord, not to earn salvation or God's favor, but to live in gratitude before his face. With great care, Christian, live the Christian life in gratitude to God, putting to death those things that are earthly in us. Resist the world, resist the devil, flee from him, Turn to Christ. For we eagerly await with great care a Savior from heaven. A Savior from heaven. This title, Savior. When you think of Savior, you think of Jesus, obviously. Oftentimes we think of Jesus as Savior and we look immediately to the cross where Jesus laid down his life for sins. He's our Savior in that way. But that's not the way the Apostle Paul is using Savior here. Apostle Paul has in mind Jesus the Savior, that by virtue of his death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father, he will come again, and he will bring salvation in its fullest. And so when he talks about we await a Savior from heaven, he's talking about a Savior who will bring Redemption, full and free, in its totality. Because he's a complete Savior. A complete Savior who will save both body and soul. There is no doubt, Christians, there is no doubt that in this life, we struggle greatly against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But Paul's encouraging us, the Word of God is encouraging us that we eagerly await with great care a Savior who will put an end to all of it at His appearing. Your suffering in the flesh, your weakness in the flesh, all of those things that we struggle with in our body and soul will come to an end at His appearing. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I think about my own faith, and yeah, I wonder, Jesus, is it even bigger than a mustard seed? I come to grips with my weakness. Do you? Your frailty, 
all the hurts and pains and sorrow, sickness that we see day in and day out, spiritual hurt and pain and suffering of the soul, the dark nights of the soul. We eagerly await a Savior who will come and put all of that to an end. And our present attitude is one of faith, a posture of faith that trusts in the Lord and seeks to be faithful to His will and ways. A present hope, a present attitude until the fullness of salvation comes from our Savior Jesus. But notice he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord. Don't See, the apostle doesn't use words carelessly. The Lord Jesus Christ. Because you are citizens of a commonwealth under one government, one king, you are citizens of one Lord. And we eagerly await this one Lord who will come to save his people. Lastly, our future hope. We eagerly await a Savior from heaven who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Our future hope is in the transformation of literally our body of humiliation. Translated here, lowly body. But our body of humiliation This lowly body will be made like Jesus' glorious, exalted body fit for heaven. Jesus doesn't teach, or Paul doesn't teach a dualism. We talked about that just a few weeks ago when we heard a sermon about our bodies and bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit. Glorify God in your body. Paul doesn't teach that the physical body is evil or the soul, and the soul is good. No, we are saved body and soul by our faithful Savior. But he says our our body of humiliation or our lowly body because our bodies suffer from the curse of the fall. Having been corrupted and knowing weakness and suffering and death. And so Jesus is that complete Savior who saves us from all those effects of the fall until death finally being defeated altogether. Jesus is the complete Savior. He is our future hope in His coming, because He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who is the last Adam, who lived a true, righteous life, He exemplifies true humanity, and we will participate in that true humanity with glorified, transformed bodies made like His glorious body. How does He do this? Well, we read, Paul says, by the power that enables Him even to subdue or subject all things to Himself. Lord's Day 22, we ask the question, How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, 
but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ. The same power that he uses to subdue all things himself is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power of the Spirit is the same power that will raise us and transform us to be made like his glorious body. So that body and soul are reunited and we will be with the Lord forever. That's our future hope. Congregation, in your suffering, in your struggle, in your wrestling, in this life, What is your present attitude and what is your future hope? It's a pretty simple question. It's a simple question, but it's usually the simple questions that we get tripped up over. Because it requires us to do a bit of heart examination. It requires us to look into our own hearts and ask ourselves, well, what am I putting my trust in? Am I putting my confidence in my own flesh, in my own nature, in my own abilities? Or am I putting my confidence in Christ? Do I, like Paul, count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord? Do I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and share in the fellowship of his sufferings? What is your present attitude in your suffering as you eagerly await a Savior from heaven? How is God being glorified in your life, in the present. And when you look to the future, that future hope, does your heart rejoice? Does your heart evoke a response to this future hope in the resurrection of the dead? The glorious transformation of your body. Knowing and believing all of these truths that Paul teaches here, does a joyful anticipation swell in our hearts, saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. For I'll tell you what, friends, our flesh is in heaven, and where he is, there we will be also. And when that will be, we do not know but we eagerly await a Savior in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and is the man of heaven. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, 
we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You are men and women of dust, but by God's grace, you are men and women of heaven because that is where your citizenship is. And because you are men and women of heaven, you will one day bear that image of the man of heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we're amazed, O oh Lord, at your grace and mercy towards us in Christ. We know that the dead cannot rise by their own strength. And so we once were. We were dead in sin and trespasses. And only by your grace, by the power of the gospel, the power of the Spirit, and by your great mercy, we were made alive in Christ and granted citizenship in heaven. We marvel, O oh Lord, that you would count us righteous in your sight because of the righteousness of Jesus. We thank you for the gospel truth that by works of the law no man shall be made righteous, but only through faith in Christ. And so we come, O oh Lord, to you as beggars, beggars in need of bread, beggars in need of spiritual food and drink to sustain body and soul. And so we look to our true spiritual food, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who provides eternal and living waters that quenches the soul. Oh, Father, help us as we wait a Savior from heaven. That we, oh Lord, would wait with great care, keeping watch over our souls. Seeking to encourage one another in the faith. Exhorting one another to persevere and press on. To resist the devil, knowing that he will flee. When we call upon your name, O Lord Jesus Christ. For at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. O Father, may you be glorified by your people. We, the blood-bought people of God, may we worship you daily praising your name, marveling in your salvation.